Tonight, we're gonna read about a guy who is in debt by 10,000 talents. Now, that sounds like a lot. Well, because it is. Now, let's not gloss over this. See, a talent was not a single coin, but rather it was a measurement. It was 75 pounds of gold. That's right, that's five of these sandbags in weight. So, a talent was the highest form of currency. It was worth 6,000 denarius. And a denarius was a Roman silver coin that was essentially worth one day's wage for a common person. So, if you do the math, a talent was actually worth 16 years of wages. Now, this guy that we're gonna read about tonight was actually in debt by 10,000 talents. And the reason that Jesus uses the number 10,000 was not just because that's a lot, but because it is literally the highest number in the Greek numbering system. So Jesus is saying this guy owes the highest number of the highest currency. It's like today's standards saying one million dollars. Well, no, actually it's kind of more like saying like one trillion dollars or a bajillion zillion dollars. And come on, even do the math. Could he really ever pay back 160,000 years worth of wages anyways? And it kind of makes you wonder as well, what did he do to ever accumulate that kind of debt? But for some reason, his lender decides to actually forgive him of his debt, which is just absolutely crazy. But now, our newly forgiven man is not even willing to forgive someone else who owes him 100 denarius. Yeah, 100 denarius, that is 100 days wages, and you know, that is significant, but come on, he just got forgiven 10,000 talents, but he cannot forgive 100 denarius? Why make trillions when we could make billions? After all, that's literally one six hundred thousandth of the debt that he was forgiven. So let's get into the story tonight and let's see how it applies to our lives. And you know what? That's enough today for our historical minute. You know, I got to say for Dr. Evil being so evil, he really does not understand money. <laughs> he really does not. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, dear Jesus, we thank you for this time this evening. And Lord, we pray that uh, during this study that we're able to really dive into your word, and we're able to uh, just learn a lot about you tonight. And all this we pray. Amen. All right, so as always we have here, in case you're new, we do have the ability to text in questions or appropriate comments uh, to this number down here. And you could, as James even mentioned the other day, you can just save it in your, your phone or something. And so I've got it saved as questions. And so I can just simply uh, type it in there. Um, but we do have that, and it'll come up here on my iPad. And so we can discuss things that way. But first, we are going to get into uh, Matthew 18. And Pastor Mike uh, is out today. And so, well, that's why I'm here. But he had uh, asked me as well to clarify one thing. So last week, we talked about this phrase, faith like a child. And he was really kind of going into like, okay, what, is, what does that really mean? After all, and this is a good thing to think about, uh, we've all heard that phrase before, but really what does it mean, what's so special about a child and childlike faith that's different than an adult? And one of the things that he concluded last week was obedience. And, and surely there, there is that, there is this, this, this uh, obedience. Um, but on top of that, and what he wanted me to clarify um, so he wanted me to correct him, which I found kind of fun. Um, but he wanted also to add 
that it's not just this obedience, but it's this trust. It's this loyalty. I mean, especially I can think of, you know, my kids, and granted, they are pretty young. Um, but really, it's like for them, you know, they look to us as the parents, as their nurturer, their provider, their protector. I mean, we really are their world. You know, they don't have that independence yet. And so he really wanted to uh, clarify that, just saying, hey, you know what? This phrase, faith like a child, is, is really about the, this trust and this loyalty um, that as we grow older, and it is kind of true that we get more independent and we kind of start relying on ourselves more rather than our parents. And so really that's, uh, and I think that's, you know, good insight as to what faith like a child means. Um, now, however, we're going to pick up in verse 15, which uh, is going to be kind of an interesting section, as, by the way, most of the Gospels are, it turns out. Um, but really, it's, it's kind of a trajectory. See, the way Matthew weaves stories together, is, it's very purposeful. And so um, this is coming on the heels of the parable of the lost sheep about how uh, God really wants people to repent. And how God really wants people to be saved and to know him. And so coming off the heels of that, um, now we find out what happens if someone's not repentant for what they do. Okay? And so here's what it says in verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So let me pause here for just a second. And to say that um, this is uh, specifically in the area of uh, sin, in the area of um, noticing that's, that your brother is sinning against, or not necessarily against you, but your brother is sinning. Um, and it's, it's a way of accountability. It's a way of um, the community, just in general, will help us see things that, that we don't see, right? Like there is a, a church father who... Um, lived in probably, I think it was the 400s, um, but he was walking with a candle and he had this candle wax that kept spilling on his, his arm. And, and it was only then that he, was, he looked closely at his arm and because and the candle wax was spilling, so it's hot and it should hurt, but, but it didn't. And, and that's when he started noticing that he had leprosy. And, and so really, he uses this as an analogy to talk about sin, that sometimes we don't even see the sin that we do. Sometimes we just do things, and, and we have this condition where we just do things, and we just don't think twice about it. And so really, the value of Christian community, as in our church or small group, all right, your Christian friends that you have, the value here is that, that they can see things that sometimes you can't. Uh, sometimes we kind of have these blinders on and we just don't see things. And so whenever someone uh, comes to us and says, hey, I noticed you've been doing this thing. Um, and, and what it says here, it says to go to this person privately, go to them directly first. And then if they repent, then it says you've gained your brother. If they listen, you've gained your brother. Um, but I should say as well, this does, this whole area, we can also apply it to conflict in general. So while it is talking specifically about sin, uh, for sure there's a lot of application here regarding uh, conflict in general. And so, you know, if someone says something to you that's, that's inappropriate and it hurts your feelings, if, um, 
you know, you see someone else, uh, you know, do something that, that you feel like um, has caused conflict in your relationship, um, you can, you know, broadly apply it. And I love how it starts off. It starts off with, does it say go and post it on social media? No, it does not say that, right? It doesn't say go and tell everyone else but that person. By the way, that's my family for you, all right? Let's call everyone else and talk about that one person rather than calling that person and actually dealing with it, all right? Because it's much easier to talk about someone than talk to someone. Um, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to go directly to the person. And, and if, you listen, if they listen, you've gained your brother. Uh, but then it goes on in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this is kind of a reference back to the Old Testament and how in the Old Testament court uh, you needed two witnesses uh, to be charged for anything. You needed two witnesses. And, and there really is something to that. that Because, you know, you, you may have a charge against someone, um, but, but maybe you're the one who's, who's kind of off, you know? M- maybe you're just making something up. Uh, and, and so what you need is you need now two or three witnesses, two or three uh, elders, people that are godly people. Um, go, go, go with them and then confront this person. And, and by the way, when I say confront, um, I do mean confront, but, but we are called to speak truth in love. And as Christians, a lot of times we get that backwards, right? Uh, speak truth in love. And, and so what we're supposed to do here is we're supposed to, we're supposed to, to, to say it the, the way that it is. We're supposed to, to you know, to give the truth. Uh, but we're also supposed to do it in a loving way. It's, it's not a way that is condemning the person, not a way of, of necessarily casting out or judging the person, uh, but rather it's speak truth in love. And so, so now that you brought two or three witnesses, and then it says this, if he refuses, this verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. All right. So now we're entering into something uh, that's called church discipline, which is not something we normally talk about, but this is a huge reality, and Jesus talks about it. And so, so here's what it is, is that you've already tried going to the person, and then you've tried two or three, still doesn't listen, and then, then you bring it to the church, you bring it to the Christian community. And, and then if, if, if still, if he does not listen to even the church community or to the pastor, um, that, then really it indicates that something's really going on with this person's heart. Right, we can agree with that. That that that, that clearly there is definitely um, that if if you're called out on your sin, I, I I know it's hard because whenever people come to me and um, hold me accountable to my sin, all right, I don't always react perfectly. Okay, I understand that, and neither neither do you. Okay, so just recognize that it's hard, and it's easy to get defensive. It's easy to rationalize. It's easy to explain away. It's easy to do all sorts of things. But, and maybe that's your initial reaction, but, but the more that you think about it, the more you pray about it, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you should come to repentance. And, and, and repentance, by the way, all it is is saying, I'm sorry. I mean, we're, we're making it sound like it's this really difficult thing here. It's not. Just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
that's all it is. And, and repentance to God is saying, I'm sorry, and, and turning from that and, and working against that. But, but it's, it's, it's easy. It's, we can recognize and we can go to our church and say, you know what, church? Um, I got this thing in my life that's hard. And, and I need strength and I need prayer to help overcome it. And, you know, that's why we even say in communion that, that, that uh, through his body and blood that we're receiving Jesus' true body and blood for forgiveness, but for also strength. And, and we're in God's word for strength. And so if you're sorry for your sin and, and you just keep doing it a little bit, then, then that's one thing. And you're trying really hard not to do it and you're, you're pulling yourself out of that sin. That's, that's good. But if you're just at a place where you're just, nah, I'm not sorry for that thing anymore. That's a big deal. It's a big deal to Jesus. And as it describes here, it's a big deal to the church as well. And so what we're called to do then, um, it says, says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And what that's referencing is it's referencing this um, expulsion. It's referencing that they are to now be outside of your Christian fellowship. They're to be outside of your church. That's how we're to treat, that's how we're to treat them. And, uh, and one of the ways that we do this here at St. Mark is uh, because we take communion very seriously. And um, there's even a warning label on communion that if you go to God, if you go to the altar and you're not sorry for your sin, if you're not repentant and you still take communion, the way that 1 Corinthians 11 describes is that you could actually be eating and drinking to your judgment. Um, there's, like a, there's a warning label in communion. I know some people don't know this, but this is true. There's a warning label, which is, by the way, if you uh, invite a friend, which you should, um, and, and they're not a believer, don't force them to take communion, okay? Don't do that because, uh, again, there could just be a, there's a warning label. It's for believers. It's for people that are baptized and believe in Jesus and are sorry for their sin. And so whenever we go to the altar, if you're not sorry for your sin, um, then, then you could actually be eating and drinking to your harm. So actually to protect that person from that and as a, as also as a way to help them take their sins seriously and to realize what's going on, um, that we will withhold communion from people and who are just not sorry for their sin. Um, now, obviously, the, the church, you know, as the Christian community, um, you know, we have to find out about the sin and they have to publicly not be sorry for it. Um, but it does happen. You know, like, for example, I can't tell you uh, how many times that we've had, you know, people who come here and they want to join St. Mark and it's awesome and we're excited. Uh, and then it turns out that they're living together before marriage. And, and it's like, oh, man, you're so close. You know, it's like, you know, do, do you realize, and I know it's so culturally acceptable these days, but do you realize that, that in doing so that you're living in sin? Do you realize that? And, and we can't take you in as members if you're, if you're just publicly um, in disobedience with God because part of being a member here is to say that, that we're going to put God first in our life. And so, so it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult conversation. Um, and, and we have these conversations. We really do. And in fact, there is uh, one couple who, um, uh, you know, through the new member class, we found out they were living together. And so, so we just simply brought it up. We said, well, you know, at this time, we just can't take you in as members for this reason. And, and we tried to do it, you know, in love where it didn't come across, you know, <laughs> sounding too whatever. And um, and the couple, you know, had a hard time with it a little bit. But what's interesting is they still kept coming. 
Uh, you know, we saw them the next week. We saw them the week after. We saw them the week after. God was clearly doing something in their life. And then, they, then uh, Pastor Mike got a phone call. Um, it was uh, late December, and so it was right after Christmas. And, and they said, you know, we want to get married. And Pastor Mike was like, great. When do you want to do it? And they were like, tomorrow. <laughs> and he was like, really? Okay. And so, so they had, they, they had a, a wedding, and, and, um, and they got to do it right before God. And, and it was just, it was awesome. Uh, and, and they would never have gotten to that place if we did not speak truth into their life. We would have never gotten to that place. And, and here, here's the thing is that, as well, it shouldn't always come down to the church to have to be the only ones to speak truth into someone's life. I mean, after all, think about your family members. Think about your friends, uh, your coworkers, the people that God has really placed in your life and, and that, that you have this relationship with. And if I were to call them up and say, hey, they would be like, who are you? All right. But, but, but for you, you have that relationship. And, and, and God is calling you to speak truth into their lives. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will be one of the few people that actually speaks truth into their life. Um, because so many other people, even, even though that they want to, they won't. Why? Just because we're all, we're all scaredy cats, especially in our PC culture. We're just so scared of offending someone. Like, that's the worst thing to do. No, that's not the worst thing to do. But... But my point is that it's so easy for everyone to gossip or talk about a person. But, but maybe God's calling you to actually pick up the phone or buy them a cup of coffee and actually sit face to face and speak truth into their life. And I guarantee you, you will be either the only one or one of the few people to do that. And so as well, um, and again, this doesn't just apply to church. It can apply to outside of this. So one of the things that I think of, so um, this, this area where if they're unrepentant, we're to treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector, that there really is kind of this removal. And, 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 so, and so part of that then is to get their attention a little bit. Um, and so it could look like a bunch of different things. Like, for example, um, I, I knew this uh, uh, girl and she um, was engaged to a guy who was not a believer. And really this guy, it wasn't just that he was like apathetic about God. I mean, he really had issues. He had beef with God and he was very angry towards God about uh, a lot of different things. But she was, you know, she's in love. All right. And so she's going to marry this guy. And so, um, so her dad um, had this conflict and said, well, you know, and I know there's like literally movies made about this, right? Um, but it's, it's not just that he didn't like the guy because that wasn't the issue. This guy was actually very likable. Um, but the issue was simply that um, she's going to yoke herself with an unbeliever. And, and, and what's going to happen spiritually to her or if they have kids, what's going to spiritually happen there? And, and so, um, and literally it says in the Bible not to do that. Do not be uh, unequally yoked. And so, uh, so this father is, is kind of torn on this. And, and he just simply decided, well, you know, I, I guess what I need to do is, um, you know, I paid for my other kids' weddings, and so I'm just going to pay for her wedding. And just wrote her a, a blank check, you know, whatever it is, put it on this credit card. And, you know, it could be 30000 it could be fifty, it could be 100 whatever. Just go for it. And, and I just kind of think about that, and I just think, you know, you know, and he, he made his decision accordingly, but, 
But, but really, what, for Matthew 18 here, all right, what kind of message would it have sent if he would have said, you know what, um, and again, speak truth and love, so this is hard, and, and most people in our culture would just get offended and storm out, but, but, but just to go to this person and say, you know, to go to the daughter and say, I love you so much that I want you to reconsider this, and, and I want you to reconsider it so much that, that I'll be at the wedding, but I'm not going to fund it. Oh, man, would that make her reconsider it? Absolutely. Or to say, I'm not even going to go to the wedding. I know, it's so countercultural. You're the father of the bride. you got to be there. But what kind of message would that have sent? And, and then if her whole family would have uh, reunified around that as well to say, you know what? I just can't bless this. I can't bless this relationship because it's not from God. And the whole family were to make that stance. Again, so countercultural, so judgmental, so wrong, right? No. Matthew 18 here, if the whole family would have done that, what kind of message would that have sent to her uh, about the choices that she's making? My guess is she would have reconsidered it rather than walk down the aisle. And that's what she did because the whole family just gave her a thumbs up and, and just passed you know, the blind eye. You do you. It doesn't matter. Teach his own. And, and so I just kind of look at that thinking, could, could that have been handled any differently? Yeah. And don't we risk pushing people away from God completely by denying the membership? Great question, great question. Okay, so a couple things with this um, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. Part of being a Gentile and a tax collector is that they're, they're not a Christian, right? And as Christians, we have this charge to go and to evangelize them, right? To share Jesus with them, to teach them about Jesus. And, and so, so yes, there is definitely still... Even, even if, if we uh, say, okay, you're not welcome at the communion table, there is still this burning desire for them to know Jesus. And part of that is repentance. And, and so, yes, it is kind of a fine line. It is kind of a tricky line where um, if we bring them into membership, or excuse me, if we don't bring them into membership, we can say, you can still go here, just don't take communion and you won't be a member. Which, by the way, <laughs> it's like, you know, there are people that go to this church that have been going for like 30 years and still aren't members. And no one knows they're not a member. So, I mean, it's like, to an extent, it's kind of, you know, some people get really embarrassed by it. It's, it's not that embarrassing, all right? But what I'm saying is this, is that um, if, if people were to come in and we were to say, okay, you can show up to worship, just don't receive communion and you're not a member, um, then, then yeah, there's always that chance that they're just going to run for the hills and we're never going to see them again. And has that happened? Yes. Yes, it has happened. And, and I lament that. I really do because, um, because it, you know, it's hard because you, you wish that they could just keep coming and keep hearing God's word and God's clearly doing something in their life. Um, however, on the same token, and this is kind of the flip side of this, of this token here, is that if we were to bring them into membership, all right, um, then all of a sudden, and, and we knew about it. So if, if, if no one knows, all right, like if you're really, really, really good at hiding your sin, okay, and no one knows, then how can, you know, we possibly do anything? But if it's completely out there, if it's completely open and everyone knows it, um, and then we were to allow them into membership, or we were to then especially allow them to lead a ministry or hire them on as staff or something like that, then eventually wouldn't, wouldn't people notice in our church body and kind of recognize, oh, what's up with, what's up with this? And, and how, come, how come we're allowing someone who's unrepentant of their sin to, to be in fellowship, to be in community with us? And, but then not only that, but then especially to, um, but then as well to um, 
what's the right words here? Yeah, but then especially to lead a ministry. And, and I tell you, the churches that, that do that, and there are churches that do that, um, and, and everyone sees it, everyone knows, and it's kind of a joke almost. And, and people, you know, they, they, they uh, yeah, exactly right. Someone says this, public sins can cause others to stumble. And that's exactly right, is that people see it, and it's going to affect the faith of a lot of people in the church because now all of a sudden you're saying that sin is okay, it's not a big deal. And, and if you get to that place as a church, then you've lost, you've lost a lot of it. You really have. And so there really is this need to be consistent. Um, there really is this need to, um, you know, for the protection, for, the, for that person to get their attention to repent, but then also to protect those in the church as well, to protect their faith. And then as well as a witness to the world, that the world will see this and see that, you know, we are calling, just like the gospels do here, we call for repentance. And, and we call for Jesus and the cross and his love and his forgiveness. And you receive that through forgiveness. And so, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot. All right, here we go. So, are you not called to disciple them until they get eligible to membership? Yes, absolutely. So, so what we would do is, you know, we would still want that person to still come to church. We would still want that person to show up to Bible studies. We still want that person to, to come and hear Jesus as much as possible um, because that's what God is doing. And, and if you know them personally, you know, hang out with them, reach out with them. Yes, that's exactly what you want um, until they get to membership status. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing is not that with this whole thing with repentance that we're talking about is, and even withholding communion from someone, it's just until they say, I'm sorry. That's all it is. And again, like it's so hard. Just, just until they get to a place where they're repentant. It's not a forever deal. It's not a, you know, you're out and we don't like you deal. All right. Uh, it, is a, it is just get to a place where you're repentant. And, and that's all it is. That's all it is. Okay. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to come back to this in just a little bit. Um, but for now, let's do this. Let's keep going. So, uh, verse 18, it says this, Truly, whatever I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So this whole binding and loosing, um, this is something real technical. It's called the office of the keys. And what it is, is that God is giving the authority of the church, as we're describing here in Matthew 18, describing the authority of the church to forgive and then also to withhold forgiveness. Again, the only time you would ever withhold forgiveness is whenever someone's unrepentant of their sin. All right. Um, but the, the effect of that, as it says here, whatever you bind on earth, okay, so whatever you forgive on earth shall be bound shall be forgiven in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so this whole idea of, of uh, forgiveness and, and withholding forgiveness actually has, um, a, it actually takes, it actually has a spiritual effect that will even be in heaven, which I find very, very interesting. But that's what Jesus is saying here. Okay, so let's go to, um, in my case, the next page, but it's just the next verse. 
And it's what I did the historical minute on. So we absolutely have to get to it, all right? Otherwise, I got to redo a historical minute, all right? <laughs> so here we go. Uh, verse 21, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So I, uh, <laughs> it was fun. I got this... Um, I saw this meme on Facebook the other day, and it had this quote, and it showed a disciple saying, great, not only do we have to forgive people, but now we have to do math? <laughs> yeah. No, that's not what I was talking about. 70 times 7. Uh, it's, it's an infinite, infinite number. There's a rabbinic school that was saying, um, they were arguing, and they said, well, you know, maybe three times. Because after all, if you forgive someone three times, come on, three times, that's so many. And, and so Peter's kind of going above that and just kind of testing the water. And Jesus says that we need to forgive infinite number of times. And this whole uh, number, by the way, uh, this is not the first time it shows up in the Bible, but rather it also shows up in Genesis 4. So this is kind of your throwback Thursday moment to the Old Testament. Uh, in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. So um, Cain, um, you know, God says that whoever... Uh, avenges Cain, whoever kills Cain will be, will be uh, guilty seven times. Okay? And then one of his descendants later, his name is Lamach, uh, God says that if anyone kills him or avenges him, that his blood will be avenged 70 times seven. And so this is actually a throwback to Genesis 4 here, which I find kind of interesting. Um, but the purpose of it is just to say it's this infinite number. It's this infinite number. And then what Jesus does is he goes on to this parable here in uh, verse 23. And this is what I referenced in the historical minutes. We'll just read it all and then we'll talk about it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And so just to kind of pause here for just a second. Um, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience on me and I will pay you everything. I just, I love this verse because, I mean, really, um, considering the 10,000 talents is worth 160,000 um, years of wage, um, how is this guy ever going to repay this? It's, it's not. But I just, and, and so I kind of find it fun because whenever we go to God, we almost say the same thing. We almost say, oh God, I will fix this. I will do this completely on my own. And it's like, God's like, yeah, all right, <laughs> so... Verse 27, and out of pity for him, I just love that word pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. <coughs> Excuse me. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, and I find this interesting, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. All right, so pretty interesting story. Obviously, um, with the historical minute, we got into the gravity of the whole 10,000 talents thing. And then the 100 denarii, so a third of a year's salary, basically. Nothing to sneeze at. However, if you just got forgiven, you know, $1 trillion, or whatever the amount would be with 10,000 talents, shouldn't you, I mean, shouldn't you at least be a little gracious to maybe other people who owe you money at this point? <coughs> and as well, what we notice here is we notice this, it says, uh, and in anger, this is verse 34, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. And um, in other translations, and in the way the Greek words this, is it's not really even just a jailer. It's, um, it's, some, it's like a tormentor, is, is literally what the, the Greek word here is. So, so he is, um, this guy here, out of the master's anger, <laughs> right, was sent to tormentors. And, and then, of course, um, this is a reference to eternal punishment, to eternal torture, uh, you know, in hell. And, and so I find this very interesting because, um, you know, we can look at it, and I'm sure the disciples were stunned, going, well, how could this guy ever, da-da-da-da-da, how could he ever? And yet, how many times can we relate to this in our life where um, we have just done something that we just can't believe we did? I mean, we blew it. We, we, we stumbled, we stumbled hard. I, I, I mean, just shattering, all right? And then we go to God, and, and God forgives us. And then something happens to us, and are we as forgiving as God is? No. It's easy to simply, um, it's, it's easy to simply uh, lash out at people, and, and hold, them, hold them responsible for what they did for you. They should, there should be justice here for what they did to you. And then, of course, go on to social media and talk about it, right? So everyone else can join in with you and go, yeah. Yeah, that was awful. It's awful what they did to you. Um, isn't it amazing that we do exactly the same thing? Um, okay, so we've got a couple of questions. You are supposed to withhold your forgiveness if the offending person has not repented. Um, okay, so this is, this is a good question here. So what I was referencing earlier was, um, so this is called the Office of the Keys, and it's uh, what the church is to do, okay? So like, so, you know, if, if someone is not sorry for their sin, then we're going to withhold, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, we're going to withhold communion and membership. And, and yeah, as Jesus describes it here in Matthew 18, to also withhold forgiveness because the person is not sorry. But now on a, on a personal level, though, 
um, that, that even if someone is, is not sorry for their sin, that we still need to, in our hearts, work through that and forgive the person, even though that they're not sorry. And, and the reason that, that I say that is because we have Jesus on the cross who says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And so they're the ones who are mocking and literally killing Jesus. And what does he say? The words out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them. And so even Jesus, for people that, that aren't sorry for their sin, uh, he's willing to forgive them. And, and so that's how we are to act, yeah, one-on-one. Now, I understand that was kind of a little murky, um, but I hope that, that you guys understand that, that distinguishing line there. Interpersonally, we are to work through just personally, because whenever someone offends us or does something wrong to us, I mean, it hurts, it stings, and it's easy to lash out. It's easy to be mad at that person. And, and what we need to do is we need to be able to work through that in our hearts and, and just to kind of let that go. All right, uh, but this forgiveness is for everything, not just money owed, correct? Yes, absolutely correct. And so obviously um, he's using this analogy of forgiveness, which by the way, I kind of find fun. Anytime I sign legal documents, um, there's the word forgiveness that comes up in legal documents. And so uh, I just kind of find it's like, you know, I think that I, sometimes I think that forgiveness is like such a churchy word. And then it's like on legal documents. And I'm like, oh, it's actually not at all a churchy word. Like it's a very real, tangible word that people, people use outside of church. Um, so he's using money as an analogy here. But yeah, the obvious connection here is, is that we are to forgive um, just because we've been forgiven. Uh, I mean, to, to think of all that Jesus has done for us, that we need to extend that to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, maybe the servant thought the master would change his mind and come back for the 10,000 talents. So he needed to be repaid. Um, yeah, you know, that, that is possible um, in this particular parable. I'm not, I don't see any evidence of that other than speculation. Um, yeah, because at this point, so he's forgiven of money, so, but he doesn't have it liquid. It's just he just doesn't owe it anymore. And so, so, so yeah, you are right in the sense that um, he probably doesn't just have 100 denarii laying around uh, to be able to, to, to pay people. Um, but as well, I think if we just kind of look at this, this parable, we can just see that clearly there's something. The point of it really is just this guy's heart and, and how he was, he was given so much and yet he can't extend, um, what were the numbers? One six hundred thousandth is what uh, the guy owed him. One six hundred thousandth. He couldn't even repay. He couldn't even forgive the one six hundred thousandth uh, that, that was just given to him. All right. Um, and so as well, I will close with this. Let's actually go back to Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Um, otherwise, this is a pretty familiar one, so don't worry. All right, uh, this is one you probably learned in Sunday school over and over again, and it's the Lord's Prayer. It says, "Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Then in verse eleven, it says, or yeah, verse eleven says this: "Give us this day our daily bread." And then verse twelve, it says, "And forgive our debts." Um, we actually looked this up in our high school group not that long ago because, uh, you know, someone was saying, well, why did, because this is the ESV translation, which is pretty literal, and why, why does Jesus use the word debt here? 
Um, because after all, there's like six different words for sin. You know, like some of the words in the Greek could be like missing a mark, describing like an archer. You know, I'm sure you've done this before. And you're like, and you're like, wow, <laughs> that went nowhere. All right, uh, missing the mark. So you try but you fail. That's one word, uh, harmartia, that's one word for uh, sin in the Bible. But this particular word here is debt. And so it's actually using um, this, this very literal, tangible, um, money kind of driven sense here. And forgive us our debts. Because, you know, again, I mean, debt is so tangible, right? <laughs> I mean, it is, it is something that's, that pretty much all of us here can relate to with one experience or another. It's, it's very relatable. By the way, I did find this funny. Whenever I graduated uh, from uh, my master's program a year ago, um, the, they were praying the Lord's Prayer, and they used forgive us our debts. And it was to 100 people that were graduating. And when the word debt came up, they were all kind of like, oh, she's like, yeah, way to remind us. The student loans are going to start kicking in. Um, but, but forgive us our debts, okay? And then it says this, and forgive us our debts as. Forgive us our debts as. So this word as here, actually, I wonder if you have it. No, you don't. No, no you don't have it. Okay. Um, this word as here, uh, I want you to, to note because in the Greek, it's a subjunctive. And uh, it's what's called a conditional subjunctive. And again, anytime that you see something like that in, in the Greek, it's supposed to just stand out and slap you in the face and go, hey, pay attention here. Because this conditional subjunctive, it, it's, it's saying that um, it's basically saying on the condition of, all right, that's what a conditional clause is going to do, right? On the condition of, we also have forgiven our debtors. And so in the Lord's prayer here, it talks about how um, we are to forgive others just as God has forgiven us, all right? And, and, and there's, there's, this, there's this call, there's this mandate, and we say it every week in the Lord's Prayer here. We, we really do. Um, and, and then, of course, if there's any sort of confusion, well, maybe that word as isn't really a conditional subjunctive. Maybe it's this kind of subjunctive. Uh, no, that's when it goes into this parable that we just read tonight in Matthew um, 18 about, uh, about for, uh, forgiveness. And so we are called to forgive others um, as difficult as it might be. So uh, with that, we do have a question that I will address next week just because that sounds like fun. So we'll come to that next week. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this time uh, together to be able to dive into your word and discuss these things. And and as well as, like so much of the gospel, so much of it is difficult. Um, <clears throat> first, this call to uh, be able to speak truth and love to people. And, and to actually take that seriously and not just simply, um, you know, watch someone walk away from God. But rather that we're called to be people that you've placed in their lives to actually, in, in love speak truth to them. And so, God, we pray that we can do that. And then also, Lord, we pray that um, we, we take people who, um, as well, who aren't sorry for their sin, who, um, who need forgiveness. And so, Lord, we pray that we're able to uh, forgive others uh, because we know, Lord, that indeed you have been, uh, you forgave us of our debt. And, and so, Lord, we pray that we can extend that to others. In all this we pray. Amen.